Welcome back. It's the Metal Rock and Whiskey Podcast. And once again, Sailor has left us, gents, unsupervised and to our own devices. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Oh, yeah. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Give it away. That's right, but the show must go on and go on it will as we discuss one of the most notable bands of the alternative rock genre. All right, and for you listeners that might be new to the show, we typically compare two albums from one artist against each other. We will discuss, most likely argue, and very professionally, to the best of our abilities, debate the merits, and in the end, only one album or artist reigns supreme. And today we are doing just that. Tonight's album battle will feature albums from the one and only Red Hot Chili Peppers. Tonight we will be pitting Blood Sugar Sex Magic against Californication. All around the world, we can make time. Rough and then stop it because I'm in my prime. Born in the north, this wants to entertain you. Because I'm down for the state of Pennsylvania. I try not to whine, but I must warn you. About the motherfucking government of California, Alabama. It's something else that's equally important is that we are whiskey nerds on this show, and we tend to drink copious amounts of whiskey while we record, we also love to talk about it. And each episode, one of us will pair whiskey theme with a uh, pair of whiskey theme, pair of whiskey <laughs> with the theme of the show. And tonight, Matt is up to the bat. Oh, Can't right wait to here. hear that, Matt. But uh, in yeah. the meantime, Ed, what are you drinking right now? Well, I am going back in the archive to our first introductory episode. And I am drinking once more Elmer T. Lee. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Back when we were podcasting virgins. <laughs> That's right. So we'll see if it, and I think it even tastes better this time around. Because I believe that was the episode I actually first, I first opened up this bottle. So it's yeah, had a, had a few months to uh, really kind of air out and open up and I'm liking what's happening with it. Now is that the uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't I don't know the I know the mash bills but I don't know them like the back of my hand. Is that that is not their weeded mash bill, right? Is that a high rye? No. It's, it's a rye. It's I don't think it's two. a high rye. Mash bill 2. But okay. um it is a um a it's rye. the higher it's the higher rye of the two mash bills. So mash bill okay. number 1 okay. is a lower rye. Mash bill 2 is the higher is rye. Is the higher rye. Okay. <clears throat> so mash bill 2 um is is basically Mashable Two is their single barrel mash bill, and it's not owned by Buffalo Trace. It's actually owned by a a Japanese conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, that includes um, let's see, Elmer T. Lee, Rock Hill Farms, um, Blanton's. Is that the Bowman uh, Brothers mash bill or t- as yeah, well or not? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think the Bowman stuff comes off of there. Um, I have one of those, you can, if you Google it, you'll get like this whole basically like family tree from Buffalo Trace that shows what Mm -hmm. every bottle comes out of what mash bill. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, this is, um, it's right in my wheelhouse. I really like the, anything that's like got that, those cinnamon notes, a little bit of spice Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, a good, good level of sweetness on it too. It's an easy, it's an easy drinker for sure. It's, uh, it's been been one of my one of my daily pours for a long time less 
less and less actually uh, a guy messaged me um, the other day because I happened to happened to get a bottle of it and uh, he messaged me and asked me if I had any any extra bottles and I was like you know what for the first time in probably three years I don't I'm I have like a sip left in one bottle and then my one unopened bottle of it and I I normally would be sitting on a case of it but it's just it's coming harder and harder to find. Well, yeah, I have yet to see a bottle of this on the shelf since I purchased this one. So, yeah, it's not on any shelf here. For what are you sure. drinking, Jake? Uh, I actually uh, pretty excited that uh, my very first uh, barrel pick, barrel selection, hit the shelves this week. Um, Blake uh, at whiskey Blake dot on Instagram. He and I. Uh, picked a, a barrel of uh, Calumet Tenure for our local Lansing whiskey group, and mm. that arrived at our sponsor store this week. Super excited about it. So I'm drinking that. It's actually a 12-year-old barrel, um, and it is, it is, it's like liquid caramel apple. <clears throat> you get honey and, and vanilla and like fresh cut apple right on the nose through the palate it's just it's 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 a caramel apple oh, and then awesome. through the and then through the finish you get more of that like apple skin floral uh note through the finish it's i i mean i'm not trying to like toot any horn it was probably more luck that we picked a good barrel but <laughs> i'm really happy with it i'll be nice. i'll be i'll be drinking this one for for a while very nice very nice what about you matt well Guys, I have today's whiskey segment, so I can't spill the beans well, I just know, yet. Sometimes you're drinking something else, like a giant goblet of barley wine or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I am I drinking. I, I saw yeah. you drinking out of like a giant Glen Cairn a second yeah. ago. Yeah, it's a stout. It's a stout <laughs> glass, but I'm, I am drinking a Goose Island barley wine, which is from Ed's neck of the woods. That's right, over in Chicago. Um, it's very limited here. I don't know about over there, but uh, it's. I love that style of beer. Not to get too off track of the whiskey, but very tasty. So I'm not, I'm not a, an aficionado of. I mean, I, I know my stouts and and that, but I don't know. Yeah, anything not, neither about am barley I. So wine. don't ask me. So what is <laughs> what's like a what's the flavor profile of barley wine? Um, dark in color, like a stout. Um, it doesn't have really that maltiness about it that a stout will. I mean, to me, it's kind of on the fruity side. Most of the barley wines I've had. Um, have some nice fruit to them, but they are all usually pretty high in alcohol, ten percent plus. Uh, and this one's twelve point one, so uh, it will language. hit. Yeah, by the time I'm finished <laughs> with it, it will hit me. I'm sure. <laughs> Don't be falling out of your chair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don't need that again. <laughs> well, we, it'll, we'll know it'll be a good episode if Matt falls out of his chair. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Don't drop your headset. Yeah. <laughs> I will try not to. Oh boy. Well, let's move on. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. Sometimes I feel like my only friend. So, hey, Sailor, do you have some rock and metal news for us before we get started tonight? 
No, I don't, because I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, where are you? <laughs> Oops. How about we play where some music instead? Yeah, let's play some more music. Get on top! With that, question for you guys. So we had this happen last time where Sailor told us all three completely different stories of why she was missing the episode. We were, you know, kind of forced to speculate on, on what the actual truth was. And I think we're in a similar predicament this time. Cause Man, I really I, hope not. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know whether what she told me was the truth or not. What did she tell you, Ed? Okay, well, she confided in me that she's always been wanting to get into theater. You know, she's a very theatrical person. Um, And she found out that there is a new Broadway musical, and it's called American Pickers, the musical. And she figured she would be a shoo-in for Danielle. Oh so, yeah, so that she makes, went to that makes uh, perfect sense. She went to audition for that. So hopefully she'll make it. And... She she would be a shoe in for Danielle. <laughs> yeah, and she can sing. So right up Actually, that alley. Danielle kind of gives those guys crap in the same way she gives us crap. Exactly. So it's, it's a perfect true. match. That is very well, I true. I think the casting would be brilliant. Art imitates reality, I guess. Indeed. So, Matt, it sounds like that's not but, what she told you. Uh, n- no, f- no fucking way. That is not what she told me. <laughs> no. As interesting as that is, that is not what she told me. Um, and I'm surprised you guys haven't <laughs> heard this, but she has finally realized her dream today, as mm. it is the grand opening of her one and only nautical themed sex shop, which is wow, which yeah, which is gear it. And solely geared toward young single men. Huh. And yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it's called Sail Her, Then Nail Her. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, I mean. I mean, that's, a, I mean, hey, that's a great it's a, name. It's that's very run. clever. It's a home very run of a yeah. store title. Sailor Then Nailer. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah. does, so does she provide, like, scuba gear and love advice to these these uh gentlemen suitors i i don't know that's a good question we might have to ask her next week if this story ends up being true interesting concept for a you know a business plan for sure it really is it really is uh she might have a problem if she only has young single men coming in but um yeah well i mean that's what she told me a problem but uh, no for her it will not be a problem but I mean, I, and I assume, Jake, she told you something different just by the Com- look on your face. Uh, completely different. So, you, you know, we know that Sailor moved uh, back to to the New England area, back to the, you know, East Coast here recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's been part of her, her new region is is that area. And, and I guess she recently, um, she recently picked up the uh the upstate new york market and so she decided she was gonna uh kind of like moonlight doing uh tours 
at Niagara Falls. But this is like, it's an interesting tour because I don't know how to put this delicately, but it's like a, it's a topless Tourette's tour. <laughs> so she's That's a very, a very specific targeted. Yeah. Tour. So it yeah. works out perfect because we know how often, you know, sailor loves to use the F word. So, it, I mean, these people, they just, it's, that's a big, it makes them feel really comfortable that they're not the only ones just spouting off uh, profanities. So, I mean, it was a home run for, her. I think actually, uh, I think the, uh, the, the, the owner of the, of the tour got a hold of her through Instagram and uh, it's, it's actually an interesting, interesting title, you know, business title, Matt, as we're going back to this, but it's, it's uh, uh, Tourette's and Titties, <laughs> Niagara Falls. So I don't understand where That's does brilliant. the topless part come in? I, hey, you know what? I'm not here to judge. You know, I guess maybe like the cold mist feels good on the body. I don't know. <laughs> That's actually a great conundrum there because how can you really be angry at somebody who doesn't have a top on? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Well, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. There's a lot of angry you're... men in the wrestling ring, and uh, I don't think That's any true. of them really have tops on. Well, I'm talking about women <laughs> here. I'm not talking about men. <laughs> oh, this is I don't know okay. if I could yell at a woman who had her boobs in my face. Point taken. <laughs> no, this is. This is a a female only tour, oh, so there's okay. no there's no there men allowed. Go. So it's it's you know the these females that they can feel free to express themselves and enjoy the you know enjoy the falls. Okay, mm-hmm. well that makes a a lot more sense. Yeah, that balances yeah. out her male only clientele for her section. Sure. Y- you know what? That makes perfect <laughs> sense. It, it absolutely does. So, I guess we'll have to find out. Well, right. yeah, or maybe the, she's doing all three of those things. Who knows? It'll be interesting we'll, to hear hear what, what happens. Wait and see. Okay, <clears> Matt. <throat> let, let's hear about your whiskey tonight. All right. Yeah, with, with all that said, let's have a drink. Well... I don't know about you guys, but when I listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, it makes me think of hot summer days, being at the beach, or even surfing a Southern California wave. So for my whiskey pairing this week, from the beaches of Islay, I give you Bowmore 17-year White Sands. This particular bottling was released in 2014 as a travel retail exclusive. It's aged solely in ex-bourbon casks, the expression derives its name from the white sands that call the Islay Coast home. I picked this bottle up online a few years back, actually just tasted it for the first time while doing research for this episode. As far as Islay single malts are concerned, I would say Bomer's core range may be my least favorite of all the distilleries, but this one just caught my eye for some reason, so I picked it up. Uh, so my tasting notes. The nose on this whiskey has only subtle smoke, more a supporting character to the plethora of tropical fruit, pineapple, and lemon zest. The vanilla is there from the bourbon cask, but like the smoke, a nice supporting player. On the palate, the peat and smoke are there, but the nose translates nicely as you get the vanilla and fruit notes, but quite dry overall. As I let it sit and open for a bit, the smoke revealed itself a bit more, and I strangely got a bit of tart starfruit on occasion as well. Uh, uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, as far as Bowmore's range of single malts, this one kind of stands on its own, just like 
the band we're discussing today, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I really wasn't expecting a 17-year single malt to drink so fresh, but damn, just like the Chili Peppers, it reminds me of beach days in the summertime. And that is my whiskey pairing this week. Well done. Very good. I'm going to have to try myself an Islay one of these days. I've never never had one. Yeah, those, this... uh, those tasting notes, I mean, that sounds freaking delicious yeah it was fruit notes it was super unexpected i was not but i mean it fits with the name so i mean it uh it was quite a pleasant surprise for for bowmore i've never i've never had anything from bowmore yeah i mean their core range stuff you'll find on the shelf at least in this country they have a 12 uh 15 and a 10 sometimes you'll see an 18 year every once in a while they do have some higher end it's a very higher end limited stuff, uh, but this one, like it's, I said, travel retail exclusive. But I was able to buy a bottle, uh, and I'm glad I did because it's uh, it's really different, really nice. Sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, moving forward. Okay, I believe you have a timeline for us, Jake. Yeah, I got a little, just little a few one. notes, a few notes here to introduce the band before before we talk specifically about the two albums at task hey, oh yeah. How long? I guess I Red Hot Chili Peppers. I found some interesting stuff that I, I definitely did not know going into studying for this, and I'm, I'm guessing maybe there's a lot of people out there that also didn't know. So um, they started off originally named Tony Flo and the Miraculously Majestic <laughs> Masters of Mayhem. Wow, that rolls right off the top. What a name. Right, so right off the bat, I mean, you know the, the kookiness that these guys oh, are going to yeah jump into um but they did form in in la in 1983 um the original cast of the band featured anthony kiedis uh michael balzeri otherwise known as flea and pretty much only known as as flea uh hillel slavat and jack irons and uh after Hillel Slovak's death in 1988 of a heroin heroin overdose. Um, Irons uh, as well left the band at, at that time, and they ended up replacing the two of them with John Frusciante and Chad Smith. Um, that lineup there, actually, they've had they've had many lineups, but that lineup there really comprises the lineup that did the two albums that we're going to talk about today. So I didn't really want to go into you know, a whole lot of the other uh, band members because, coincidentally, we're basically talking about the same band doing the same albums, so that worked out mm-hmm. well. <clears throat> um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers have sold over 80 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling bands ever and, uh, and, and at the top of the alternative genre in itself. Um, they've been nominated for 16 Grammys and have won six. They've had 13 number one singles, which compiled a total of 85 weeks at number one and also have had 25 top 10 songs. All of those numbers are records in the alt rock genre. Uh, In 2012, they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and deservedly. So, so just a little touch of background there. 
shall we move on and discuss some blood sugar sex magic? Sounds good. Hit me, you can't hurt me. Suck my kiss. Kiss me, people hurt me. Stick with me. Is she talking dirty? To me, well, let me give let me give a quick background on on this specific album. Um, like I said, this uh, this album did feature uh, Kiedis Flea for Shanti and Smith. Um, it was their fifth studio album that released uh, September 24th of 1991. It was produced by our good old buddy Rick Rubin that we've uh, we talked about a little bit uh, in, in, in the Metallica podcast. Um, it's the first of their albums that they did for Warner Brothers Records. So that might give you an idea um you know they, they were with uh prior to being with warner brothers they were with uh was it emi um, emi yeah so it's it's not like they were just with an, an indie label but i think you'll i think you'll notice when you listen to this album that the production value and probably the money associated with the production definitely stepped up once they stepped in with warner brothers um the featured singles on this album were uh pro- i mean Definitely some of their most famous uh, singles you'll ever you'll ever hear, which are "Give It Away," "Under the Bridge," "Suck My Kiss," "Breaking the Girl," and "If You Have to Ask." Uh, this album sold over 13 million copies. Uh, it was recorded in in a house owned by Rick Rubin, which had been rumored to be the mansion of Harry Houdini. Um, so we might chat about that a little bit, but uh, there's a film associated uh, with the time that was recording uh, in the mansion, and it was done by Flea's brother-in-law, and it's called The Funky Monks. Also a song title, right? Oh, it's well, also it's just kind of yeah. more of a yeah. general observation about Red Hot Chili Peppers. I really love their fusion of styles. Um, they kind of blend um, some rock, some rap, and a lot of funk in their... Uh, their style and i I actually have my own term for it i call it funk rock i think is like the perfect description for their their sound and blood sugar sex magic is you know it's a fantastic album i mean they they pack a lot in there without making me you know some albums i'll listen to and i think man you know this album's way too long but i i can listen to this album from beginning to end and and there's so much variety of sound, and I just enjoy it. So yeah, uh, you know, going back to that, interesting that uh, that they jump in with Warner Brothers, jump in with uh, Rick Rubin, and that mansion has is famous for the bands that have recorded there, the albums that recorded there, the fact that they they lived in the mansion and recorded in the mansion. Uh, Chad Smith, however, did not live in the mansion with the band uh, during recording. <laughs> a little scaredy um, cat. <laughs> of course, his his side of the story is that he just he didn't want to leave his wife alone, and so he just rode his motorcycle to the mansion each day when they recorded. But uh, I think it, it it the mansion itself, the fact that they lived there, recorded there, set up an in- interesting dynamic in the fact that uh, Anthony Kiedis actually recorded all of his vocals in his actual bedroom in the mansion he kind of got mm-hmm. got a real vibe and a feel from that room 
and just had them set up recording equipment in the room, and he did all of his uh, vocals mm. in that room. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and love him or hate him, you know, Rick, Rick Rubin has a way of getting the most out of the musicians he works with. Uh, I don't think you can deny that. Uh, he's like the master splinter of of you know rock and and metal. You know, he, yeah, he, he pushes. Yeah. He pushes he guys pushes, to get yeah. to get to a different. Um, I don't necessarily know like a different level, but but to reach a different facet of themselves. Yeah, and whatever they have to do to do that, you know, whether it's moving into a, you know, a haunted mansion or, <laughs> right. or what, you know. So this yeah. this this album, I mean, it crushes. It's uh, <clears throat> just listening to those the five singles that came off this album. They're not just you know five of the biggest singles from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. These are five of the biggest songs in the history of alternative rock or, you know, and like you said, Ed, I don't know if, you know, alternative there's, they definitely have that mm-hmm. vibe about them. On, yeah, I think it, a lot that's of their more songs, of the time. But, it's more of the time period that the yeah. album came out. I think they were, they were thrust into that category. I think their, more their so. early albums are like, like funk punk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of in your face. They're they're groovy. Yeah, I mean, Uplift I love, Mofo is a real groovy album. Yeah, like I yeah, that was always what I loved best about about the Peppers was their funk, the the bass, and and the interesting dynamic because uh, Chad Smith plays an interesting mix of what could be like hard rock drums and funk drums, and the fact that he blends it so beautifully with fleas you know just dynamically funk bass you know on the earlier albums the albums before Mm -hmm. this flea was doing a lot of a lot of you know smacking and popping on his bass this album however he toned it down and played a lot more like groove uh groove riffs and and stuff like that it's it's a lot less popping and 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 more uh melodic yeah and not to get outdone though and for shanti as well got away from the heavier riffs yeah. to more melodic uh, arrangements on this album, and we'll see it more more so on you know the other album we're going to be talking about as well. I was going to say, because you, you, he mentioned uh, Flea's bass. No. That's the one thing that really stood out to me on um, actually both these albums, probably more so Blood Sugar Sex Magic. But um, yeah, that's there aren't too many albums or bands that, the bassist stands out so clearly as it, he does on, <laughs> on the, in this group. Yeah. Um, and you know, 19, this came out, it was in my senior year of college. So obviously I've heard this album many, many times in many different places. <laughs> yeah. An interesting fact too. I, I don't think you touched on it. I know you touched on the release date and your timeline, but it's actually released the same exact day that Nirvana's mm. Nevermind was released. Oh, just an interesting I didn't fact. Put that together. <laughs> many, many, yeah, many and it still went. It, yeah, and it still it still went gold within two months. So it's not like it was overshadowed. Um, but yeah, very interesting though. Well, you know, to back to your point, Ed, I, I think I think Red Hot Chili Peppers are equally as known for Flea as oh, Flea definitely. is known for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would agree is, with that. He's he's such a like you said, it's it's very rare that that you have. I mean, there's a lot of bands where you know you know the guitar player, or you know that the band 
is known for, you know, not necessarily only for a person, but like you say Guns N' Roses and it's either Axel or Slash. You say, you know, right. Led Zeppelin, it's Page and Plant. It's it's almost always, I mean, unless you're even like Paul Mc, or uh, John, geez, Paul McCartney, it's not like the Beatles were known because he was a great bass player. It was because he wrote, you know, co-wrote all the songs. With Red Hot Chili Peppers, this is one of the few bands where you're just, I mean, the bass is so prominent. He's such a uh, a dynamic mm-hmm. personality. I mean, if you see these guys in concert, out there in his tidy he's out there, man. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, I think they became really famous because, yeah, because of their stage presence and, and their stage yeah. oh, uh, antics. And, you know, him coming out in his underwear and... Yeah, I mean, he's like Angus Young, too. I mean, the guy hasn't slowed down a bit, you know, despite (laughs) no matter how old he gets, he's going to still do the same stuff he did when he was 25, 26, 27, you know? Yeah, the crazy hairstyles. And, I mean, yeah, it's... Flea is is such a... a, a, You just, you know. You ask anybody the Rad Chili Peppers, they know Flea. They (laughs) they might not know... (laughs) Yeah, they, they they might not know who... John Frusciante is. They might not know who Chad Smith is. They might not know, you know, any of the other band members that have come and gone through the years. But they all know Flea, and they'll they'll know who Anthony Kiedis is. They might not yeah. know his name, oh, but God. everybody knows who Flea is. <laughs> mm. I mean, if you look at the spectrum of great great bass players in you know this kind of era, it's it's Flea, it's Les Claypool from Primus. And, you know, there's a lot of others, but those two, I well, think, even are kind Sting, of the most well-known. But, again, Sting, like uh, Paul McCartney, is known for more than just his bass. He's also uh, the front man for the band as well. Yeah, he's a singer. Yeah, I think a lot of people, would, yeah, they would know mm-hmm. him as the front person or the, you know, songwriter or whatever. Not necessarily because right. he's this dynamic bass player. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's what is so different about Red Hot Chili Peppers. Even Primus, you know, Les Claypool's style is is so out there that it takes a certain ear to really love it. I mean, I think anybody can listen to it and respect how talented he is. But I think the way that Flea plays, it's it's a bass that you just love to hear. I was going to say that um, listening to this album... I I hearken back to something that you had said, Jake, on one of our earlier episodes. It was the Aerosmith episode, and we were discussing some things, and you had said that you had always seen Aerosmith as a hits band, that you had never listened to an album front to back and actually liked it. You liked the hits. I was always of the mind, of that mind with the Chili Peppers. I liked the hits, Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily like a full album, but with an older ear, a more nuanced ear, this album is from top to bottom mm-hmm. an amazing record. Um, and couldn't I'll agree more. Ma- I yeah, couldn't I'll agree have, more. I'll have many things to say as well. Almost the same stuff about the other album we're going to talk about. But uh, this album builds. I mean, to me, it starts a little slow, uh, but it builds once you start getting into those hit songs. Uh, Breaking the Girl is probably it's it's close to the top of one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Um, that they've made during this era. Uh, And it's just, you know, we talk so much about musical progression and progression within bands from album to album on this show. And this is just another example of progressing musically, Mm -hmm. expanding, you know, listening to other people's input and finding a nice little 
niche, if you will, musically. And I think this album is example is a is a great example of that. If you listen to their other albums, Mother's Milk, Uplift Mofo, as I mentioned before, um, very one dimensional. But this one expands, and it will expand more as we get into oh, you know the later yeah. albums. Yeah. You know, there's there's interesting background on mm-hmm. on some of these songs. One one song in particularly, uh, "Under the Bridge." You know, it 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 goes without saying that uh, you know drug culture and in, in music is certainly uh, prevalent. Um, you know, especially through the '80s and '90s. Uh, but Anthony Kiedis had you know struggled with heroin and cocaine for a number of years, and during the recording of this album, he had written a poem about what he considered, you know, one of his lowest days where he found himself strung mm-hmm. out under a bridge. And Rick Rubin actually took that poem. And Anthony Kiedis did not want to turn this into a song. He felt, he felt it was too depressing. And, and, you know, Matt, to your point earlier, how Rick Rubin, you know, master splinters people and you know, pulls things out of them. He took that poem and turned it into, I mean, what's just a phenomenal oh, yeah. song. <clears throat> I mean, I love, I like hearing interesting stories like that where, uh, you know, it's not just let's go into the studio and let's write songs, but maybe, you know, an accidental. He, I, if I'm not mistaken, he, he did the similar thing with, uh, with, um, with James and, uh, um, and nothing else matters. It was, you know, this kind of poem thing that he had written about, uh, you know, a long distance relationship. And, you know, here's a guy that's metal upon metal and doesn't definitely doesn't want, you know, a, a, a song on an album about, you know, a love song, as it were. And, and Rick Rubin kind of pulled it out of him and had him had him do it. And so I think it's an, another interesting example of of how he takes guys to a different a different place. Yeah, and you know, you know, Kiedis and their previous guitar player Halel Slovak mm-hmm. were best of friends. Yeah, uh, wrote all the music for the early albums, and he died of a heroin overdose. And yep. you know, maybe if Kiedis gets his head on straight, we never have this song to the masses. Yeah, that's mm. a good silver lining if you think about that. But indeed. Well, yeah, I, I think we, uh, I think we made a pretty good case for this album. Um, why don't we take a quick break and then uh, we'll fill our glasses and come back and discuss Californication. All right, and we're back. Our glasses are full, bladders are empty, <laughs> and we're going to move on here. We're going to discuss another great album called Californication, and I think, Ed, you yes, have a little I timeline do. for us? Um, Californication, it's, I believe, the seventh studio album um, by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and this one was released on June 8th, 1999. Same uh, same label, Warner Brothers, same producer, Rick Rubin. And this was actually a return of John Fursiante. Is that your name? Fursiante. 
Yeah, for Sean, the Italian. He, didn't know. <laughs> uh, who had, he had previously appeared on the, <laughs> the Blood Sugar Sex Magic and uh, replaced <laughs> Dave Navarro, who was filled in for a little while. And um, Dave Navarro, I believe, was with Jane's Addiction, wasn't he? Yeah. So anyway, yes, his yep. return was credited with changing this band's um, sound altogether and producing a more sh- a shift in style um, from the music that they had done in the time between, you know, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic and this when Navarro was with the band. So this album, Californication, is their most successfully commercial, successfully commercial commercially successful (laughs) studio album uh in internationally it sold 15 million copies and six it was both successfully commercial and commercially successful i remember my i remember my first million in the u.s (laughs) but um and some of the uh some quotes from some of the critics um rolling stones greg tate noted that while all previous Chili Peppers projects have been highly spirited, Californication dares to be spiritual and epiphonic, whatever that word means. Another critic, Billboard's Paul Verna, mentioned that the album brought out the group's softer melodic side, as opposed to their previous six albums. So anyway, most of the material in the lyrics on this album... Um, came from the personal and professional turmoil that different members of the band went through and were currently going through at the time. Um, And this resulted in the, I guess, so-called sensitive approach that one might not expect from a band uh, of this sort. And Anthony Kiedis' main point behind this album was to tell tales of wandering souls who've lost their way searching for the American dream in California. And that was a direct quote from Anthony Kiedis. So what do you guys think about this album? Thank you for well, those original, that original uh, <laughs> timeline originally written by right. Ed himself. <laughs> well, I, he even I writes, definitely... he even writes words. That he hey, I'm quoting. <laughs> uh, yeah. End quote. Did, did you happen uh, to mention uh, what the singles were off this album? The singles off this chance, album? Just... Um, there was, for me, um, I know the Californication, obviously. Um, Scar Tissue. Um, I'm not sure if any other one of those would were released as a single or not. Around the World, Parallel Universe, Scar Tissue, Other Side, uh, <clears throat> Californication, and was it... Uh, Road Trippin' or Right on Time? I was going to say it was either uh, Get on Top or I Like I Dirt. Know. But Californication and Scar Tissue were really the that... only two either way. songs off this album that I can recall um, hearing before... Before I uh, I listened to it for the show, Um, again this is yeah yeah Um, really blood sugar sex magic I you know that was I guess it was because it was so much earlier in my life and when I was more into the Red Hot Chili Peppers but this album um, I guess I just I didn't necessarily miss it because I okay well. I guess maybe it would be correct to say I did miss it. You know, I only heard, you know, the a couple of the top <laughs> songs on the radio, but the rest of the songs, um, you know, 
this was my first time listening to most of them. Yeah, this uh, to to build on something you said in the timeline, Ed, uh, about you know Kiedis's approach to this album. I'll say that Blood Sugar Sex, Sex Magic Two Fault maybe lyrically was a little one dimensional, maybe two dimensional, whereas was basically a sex, drugs, and rock and roll album. Whereas this album, a mm-hmm. lot more broader subject matter. You know, he's really just talking about life in general, the the journeys that life takes us on. Uh, you know, traveling and fame, just a, a lot of different subjects. And he really digs a, more a lot deeper on this album lyrically. A little more introspective, exactly. Um, in differentiation to the, like I said, the the super almost superficialness of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So I saw... <clears throat> I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2007 at Coachella, <clears throat> and uh, so it was. They was they were on like the stadium Arcadium, you know, album tour, <clears throat> or, or at least that was what they were featuring. But they also, I mean, that was right at the time where these singles off this album were still big hits. I mean, mm-hmm. by the way, you know, had been released, but it didn't have. The commercial success. I mean, maybe it maybe it had maybe it had album sales, you know, off the wave of Californication, but certainly they were still riding the popularity, the radio play of these singles. And Very so, true. you know, they they'd certainly played, you know, their big hits that they have been playing since the '80s. Um, but these songs were were prominently featured, and man, they crushed it, and. I think we've certainly discussed on this show before that when when you have an emotional connection or an experience, a life experience that goes with an album, it makes that album that much better. And I tell you what, man, they uh, that at that time, I mean, we're talking about a band that in 2007 has been together for how many freaking years? <laughs> like <clears throat> almost what thirty years at that point. Yeah, and. <laughs> And and you you could have told I mean they could have been at their prime mm-hmm. at that show they were so good they uh so I I went to Coachella because it was it was going to be Rage Against the Machines first time playing together in seven years it was going to awesome. be their yeah. their so that was why I went I went to Coachella specifically because Rage Against the Machine was going to shut down the festival on Sunday and everything night. else was just a bonus, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, the whole weekend leading up to rage against machine closing the festival was total bonus for me. And, uh, you know, I, again, like you said before, Matt, I had, I had loved the hits of the chili peppers, but I wasn't, I wasn't a fan in the sense that I, I don't know. I probably owned maybe blood sugar, sex magic. That's probably the only album of theirs that I actually had in my collection. Um, but I loved, you know, they come on the radio, crank it up. Yeah, of course, I loved, yeah. I loved their music. I love their style. Um, you know, I played bass in a band uh, through high school and stuff. So I, I definitely, Flea was, was somebody that I would listen to often and, and try to figure out his bass lines, which are <laughs> really difficult <laughs> to to figure out when you're pretty new to, to bass. But, um, but yeah, after after seeing them, so they they had main stage Saturday night. So they were essentially 
you know, number two act for the weekend, which I, I hadn't really even realized it. Um, but that show was, I mean, phenomenal. They put on such a great show that after that weekend, I became an, a true fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I went back and bought, I mean, several I mean, aside from the albums that they were featuring at that at that show, I you know I bought the double disc of Stadium Arcadium, I bought Californication, I went back and bought a few other albums that I didn't have from previous. So, uh, so this album particularly has that level yeah. to me, where I have that memory of these songs live, and and the fact I've commented on the show before, there have been bands in the past that I liked before I saw them in concert. And hated them after. <laughs> so like live music to me is can be a, 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 a like a killer of a band. A um, death sentence, yeah. Yeah, and I'm happy to say it made me a fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it was a lot of these songs off Californication that did it. So okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and I'll say just remembering the time that this album was released, it wasn't at the time that the full-on death of music videos had happened yet. So we were in 98, 99, 2000, and a lot of what I remember from this album is actually the music videos, as weird as it sounds. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, shows like, you know, I'm dating myself here, but Total Request Live, <laughs> which was which was on... With Carson which was, Daly. With Carson Daly, which was on <laughs> when I got... Which is on when I got home from high school. And <laughs> all of these music videos were in that countdown. So well, that to, was my to, first... To date ourselves, as as, yeah. Ed men, as Ed mentioned, that he was in college when yeah. Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out. This album came out my <laughs> senior year of high school. And it was their eight-year-later yeah. album. So... <laughs> oh my god! I was a sophomore, so I was 1999. You know, I, 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 I remember. While you guys yeah. were, uh, <laughs> were watching or listening to Carson Daly, I had a uh, was it Martha Stewart and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, oh gosh, a- Adam Curry on uh, MTV. <laughs> oh, and Martha Quinn, hey, Martha, Martha Stewart, Stewart on MTV. <laughs> Martha Quinn. <laughs> Yeah, little little did you know that Martha oh, Stewart was actually a, a VJ that's a meme. on MTV that's a meme before that we need. she started her home decorating. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see a meme Dude, so of Martha Stewart and <laughs> on MTV. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll happen. All right, so it sounds like you know we we all like both of these albums, but. Um, as always on this show, only one album can reign supreme. So, well, when we were texting, we were texting earlier in the week um, about this show, and and I mentioned at that time that I, I mean, I already knew, mm-hmm. I knew what my winner was, and uh, and I can tell you that I know what my winner is right now, and it's not the same really? winner that I had picked at the beginning of the week. All right, yeah, uh, Matt. Yep. Would you like to say any, a few I'll, words? I'll go last. You'll go last? Uh, I'll just say I'll go last because right. I, I don't think last. I made up my mind. Well, yet. I'll go first. <laughs> um, for me, um, okay. Blood. it's not even really close. <laughs> Blood Sugar Sex Magic, to, to me, is like their ultimate album. Um, so many hits off this album. So many good songs. And 
you know, again, it's the the time this album appeared was at that point in my life, you know, in college when, you know, all these songs just stick with me. And so for those reasons, I am going to have to go with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. <clears throat> all right, I guess it's my turn. <laughs> so, you know, hearkening back, uh, it, it's, it, it is there's that different level for me. Um, not only the age that I was, you know, again, listening to, um, you know, listening to Californication as a senior in high school and, you know, and, and then seeing them live a few years later when these hits were still, I mean, that Californication really to me, I just, I love that album. And that was the album I had picked at the beginning of the week. But man, after, listening back through i man i tell you what my kids probably hate <laughs> me and they probably hate both these albums because in the truck over the last few days i have just listened to these two albums back and forth back and forth back and forth and blood sugar sex magic is my winner tonight i mean by by well so i guess my vote means nothing can hair. we make it unanimous <laughs> no matter what i pick <laughs> Matt? Maybe we can, maybe we can't. What's your um, stance, Matt? I'll I'll tell you. The you know, Californication start listening to it, the first five or six songs makes me want to pick that album above Blood Sugar Sex Sex Magic. But it mm-hmm. tails off slightly toward the end. It comes out hot, tails off slightly. Blood Sugar Sex, on the other mm-hmm. hand, builds, and it builds, and it gets better as it goes. So for that reason alone, considering <laughs> I can't make any other <laughs> real distinction between these albums because I like them both, I'm going to have to go with Blood Sugar All Sex right. as well. <laughs> Magic. It, and it, it came down to me, Matt, uh, to a point that you brought up earlier that, you know, we that kind of that Aerosmith point of, you know, sometimes uh, the hits, you just got to... Because these two albums, they're both just... They're hit heavy. I mean, they're they're both good albums. I would say they're, they're, they're the most complete albums in their catalog. But when it came down to me, it was, okay, I like both these albums, but which hits do I maybe like mm-hmm. over the other hits? And man, when you start... I mean, with Give It Away and Under the Bridge and Suck My Kiss and Breaking the Girl. It's like, man, yeah. those those songs, those are those are are my favorite Chili Pepper songs. And they're and they're on the same album. <laughs> so. And honestly, if you know, if Californication were if were arranged differently, at least the song sequencing, mm. maybe I'd have you know, it would be a much harder well, it is a hard decision, but it would be more difficult for me to make a decision, but I think that That's the a way that point. they, sh- yeah, the way that they structured blood sugar sex is just more convenient for me from a to a to Z on that album. It's not all front loaded. We, you know, I said the same thing about you know, black mm-hmm. Sabbath when we talk about paranoid. Yeah. It's so front loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So that's it for me. Blood sugar. And sex, that is our winner. Magic. A unanimous winner. All right. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. 
Yeah, so this is the point in the show where we talk about what we're into, what we're listening to, podcast-wise, music-wise, TV, Broadway <laughs> plays, anything so gonna, entertainment. I'm, I'm going to bring up I'm going to bring up a podcast that I've actually I've referenced before on the show, but um, their most recent episode uh, made me think of our very own our very own Matt. Um, the Sofa King podcast is is one of my favorite podcasts, and their most recent episode they did a show on the wrestler Mick Foley and mm, the hardcore um, legend. Yeah, I mean, there's I was big in WWF when I was a kid, man. The Hulk Hogan, you know, Macho Man, obviously. Everybody called me Jake the Snake <laughs> growing yep. up. It was a you know a nickname because it was that time period when Jake the Snake. Roberts Those are all your ex girlfriends, right? And, you know, being a Jake. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Roddy Roddy Piper and yeah. all those you know big WWF guys through the eighties, early nineties. Um, but I still I knew who Mick Foley was, and I'm not. Again, I'm not a, a wrestling fan beyond that WWF era. But I mm-hmm. still knew who Mick Foley was, and as soon as and I met, you know, I know that uh, that you and and your wife are, are fans of of pro wrestling and huge fans. Yeah, that is the golden era of of wrestling, the late '80s, early '90s, in my opinion, anyway. Hearing the stories, um, you know, about like the death matches that that he did, where they're like wrestling over thumbtacks <laughs> and beds of nails oh, yeah, and barbed wire barbed wire ropes and yeah. uh and i mean there was uh, one of the stories that i thought was was really interesting was uh where vader uh, uh was another kind of his rival wrestler and and wait and darth vader's a pro thing, wrestler um where i did not know that yeah you didn't know that <laughs> <laughs> so they would when they would do the headbutt um the one wrestler would grab the ears of the other wrestler so that the they could both gauge the amount of pressure that they were going to butt heads with so they could you know not butt heads fully and knock each other out but give enough of a headbutt to where it would be real within the choreography well vader has a hold of foley's ears and actually rips his ear off of his head his whole ear <laughs> rips it off of his head. Well, I mean, so the they, man is four hundred pounds. Yeah, he's a so big they, dude. <laughs> they finish the match. Foley sees, you know, obviously the the ref <laughs> grabs the ear, takes it over, takes it over so that they can put it on ice so they can reattach it later. He seeks obviously medical help. He gets, you know, has a doctor tells him, okay, this is what you got to do. You're gonna have to we're gonna reattach it. You're gonna have to sit out for X number of weeks. But Foley has like the one of the biggest opportunities of his life coming in like two weeks with like WrestleMania or whatever mm-hmm. huge event that it was, mm-hmm. and so he he has to make a decision: either have his ear reattached and miss that wrestling match, <laughs> or just not have an ear. Oh, and what no, does the guy choose? Oh. Not have an ear. And that was always one of his. That was one of his. <laughs> yeah. What do you do with his with his know? old ear? He sell an one eBay ear. or what? He probably still has it. I'm sure he <laughs> still a has it. Oh man, that's so that was, it was just crazy hearing these stories. Yeah. Matt, it made me that, think of you, so I thought I should bring that. Wow. up. Wow. Thank you. That's one of many, many, many. And it, if if there are any wrestling fans listening, 
I know our buddy Chris from Particles Collide is a huge wrestling <laughs> fan, so he's probably read the book already. But read his autobiography. Yeah, it's hmm. it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah so I, I had heard on. Uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think what the other podcast was. It might have been uh, More Stories with Jay Moore. Okay. Um, I, I think Jay and Mick are friends, and I, Mick had done an episode or two with Jay, and uh, and I mean, just a brilliant minded guy i mean the guy mm-hmm. is just really intelligent just a class act of a human being yeah good businessman um, all yeah. around yeah yeah so and what on on sofa king one of the things that they recommended is is if you have a solid stomach because you're gonna see blood and you're a big wrestling fan that you should check out you should search youtube for the death the japanese death matches mm-hmm. with mcfoley and apparently shit gets well crazy. it is a death match so <laughs> not surprised yes oh but they yeah. all live in the okay end. so spoiler. it's okay spoiler <laughs> <laughs> well you know they did tell the one story about was it one of like the Hart brothers that was going to be dropped from the ceiling and oh he actually, Hart. Yeah, yeah yeah he actually died in the process because he yeah, hung interesting himself on accident. interesting story i was watching that pay-per-view <laughs> live yeah, yeah when that happened it's oh, crazy and be you know you, you know stuff that's scripted you spend an hour thinking it's a scripted thing until they actually come on air and say he's really hurt he's dead well because they went so, on with the yeah. match they went on with they the went match. on with the pay-per-view so it, yes so it that left was the, everybody that was... thinking that it was part of the choreography yeah, it was part of correct. the script yes very I controversial mean... decision but hey this has been wrestling talk. With well, now for something Ryan. completely different. All right, so Ed, what do you? Okay, guys. Yeah, Ed, what do you got? I discovered something while channel surfing that kind of blew me away. Um, Rob Van Winkle, otherwise known as Vanilla Ice. Did you guys know he has Ice, ice Baby, like a uh, home uh, improvement uh, show nothing, or like a rehab show whiskey. where he buys houses and fixes them up? It's called the Vanilla Ice Project. I love that. I believe it when I saw it. But uh, yeah, so that's it's that's what show. I discovered this week, <laughs> and um, so I am definitely going to uh, go back and give that another another watch. <laughs> but yeah, I just couldn't believe that. It was like Vanilla Ice. I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> he does. He, he knows his stuff too. I mean, <clears throat> as a light, so I'm a licensed contractor, and. You would think that after, you know, working on houses for the last 20 years, that the last thing I would want to do is watch <laughs> a home improvement show. But I'm such a sucker for a good home improvement show. And I do love his show. And, and he does. He knows his stuff. He's been he's been a contractor for a long time. I mean, it was something that he got into. Uh, he got into, like, flipping houses and stuff really towards the, you know, the tail end of his musical career hype and it's He's been the doing cool a long thing time. about the show it's more i guess it's not your typical home improvement show it's more like pimp my house kind of a deal because he does some crazy stuff yeah some really yeah. cool yeah. stuff yeah he buys too. he's a real homer he's a real homer too which i i do love you know he he's a he's a florida native mm-hmm. and he has a real passion for the state of florida and so he he does. He buys a lot of these like uh, like mansions that are run down and had been foreclosed and whatever. And he does some cool and crazy mm-hmm. 
stuff with these houses. Yeah, great, great show, Ed. Good point. Not to get too off track, but Jake, have you ever seen the show To Catch a Contractor? To Catch a Contractor. <laughs> I, I don't even. I, I'm. I'm it's so not intrigued. on the air anymore. It went off the air probably a year and a half ago. But it's is Adam Chris Carolla. Hansen involved with this in any no, way? No, Adam Car- Adam Carolla oh is the host. <laughs> Uh, is it what I think? Take what the I money think and run. <laughs> it, it, well, basically, <laughs> basically, people who have had work done or work that they think has been done will call him in to look at it, and they were basically oh. ripped off by a contractor. So Adam Carolla, Adam Carolla will come in with his team and look at the work, and they will set up a sting where the oh. contractor who supposedly did the work will come, and they will they will come out oh, the back dude. like. Chris that Hansen would uh, to catch a predator. Oh, I have to watch this. And, How have and, I not known about this? Yeah, that's why I figured you might have known and <laughs> and, and call him to the carpet on his work or lack of work, if you will. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. entertaining. Yeah. So so that that is my pick. Go and binge watch to catch a contractor. I definitely if you will. Seen that yet. <laughs> uh, I'm writing yeah, it down right I've now. Got to, see that. <laughs> <laughs> to catch a contractor. That's so awesome. you have the reality of that with Adam Carolla. Oh yeah, I love Adam Carolla man too. Hum- man Definitely. humor, yeah. <laughs> All right, that was some good stuff. So, just want to take a minute to say thanks to all of our listeners out there, and please join us next week for another episode of the Metal Rock and Whiskey Podcast. Matt, Thank you, Ed, and to our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey Obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, concerns, suggestions, and comments about the show. Please feel free to do the same on our Facebook page. Search Metal Rock and Whiskey and ask to join to continue those discussions. Participate in weekly polls and sound off on the show in general. Find us on YouTube, and please subscribe on iTunes. Give a review. Be very nice to us. Give us that five-star <laughs> rating. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, you can find me, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey, save the E. As always, Ed, you can, can find, find me you? on Instagram, at Bourbon Geek. Jake? You can find... Our good friend Sailor at Sailor Retro on uh, on Instagram. I think pretty much all social platforms. You can find me on Instagram at bourbon.spartan. Um, and you can find our uh, our Patreon link at patreon.com slash metalrockwhiskey. We'd really appreciate if you went over there. You know, throw a buck, throw five bucks, throw whatever. Hopefully uh, we brought you some wonderful entertainment with this episode and uh, and, and you would love to support us as we would love to be supported by you. But uh, here we are at the end of the show, guys. Um, what? Hear what? Do you hear that? It's like a phone. It's like a. I think my phone's ringing. Hold on a second. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh hold on. Let me let me connect this real quick. I got a we got a Skype a Skype chime coming. Yeah, br- in. yeah. Bring it up. Direct. Bring it up. What's going on? <laughs> Hello. Hey. That Hello, sounds like Torben. Is Shayla there? Hey, oh, is hey, that Tor- buddy. Torben? What's going on? Oh, hey, guys. Guys. Hello. Shayla's oh, not oh. here this week. Oh, no. She's not here. She's in Chicago. Who's, but who's, who's going to, who's going to wish good wishes to my Sean Lars? If Shayla's not here, who is going to wish Lars the Fuku? Well, we thought that, well, How about you? Here, Would you like to do it? Uh, Why oh, don't you? I, I, 
I can yeah. awesome. I can let's, do let's it. Hear it. Okay. The floor is yours, oh. Torben. Oh. Okay, uh, Jake, I not I not mean to step on your toes, but everybody tipped your waitress cuz we're out and Fukushu Lars, Fukushu Lars. Love you, son. Love Later, you. everyone. You. Sausage and peppers. <laughs> I love you, Lord.